Good to see you here this morning. We are going to be in a number of different places in the Word of God here this morning, ending up over in Exodus chapter 32. You can turn your Bibles over there or uh, look up on the screen, whichever you would like to do. As we look at this series on submission and authority, there is a whole lot to be learned about submission and authority just by driving here to church, just by driving to work. How many are familiar with these signs? Yield. Uh, how many of you know people on the road that do not know what yield means? How about stop? Yep. Yeah. Merge. <laughs> There's a lot of signs out there, and they're there to help us and to get everybody working in the, the same direction. But when somebody decides not to follow and to do their own thing, we get into problems. This is always a fun sign to disobey. One way. Yeah, but we always have people in the, in the world who decide that their way is the best way. And even though that Jesus said there was only one way, we find other things, other ways that we think are just as good. We're going to be looking at merged. Or a lot of people, what we have done was we took the will of God and we merged it with our own. Sometimes we have the will of God that has grown to a place, but our will is still there. We need to get to a place in our life where the will of God is what's in us and our will has been purged. Y'all know that's a long way to get to because our will rises up and it's strong a lot of times. There was a uh, story of some leaders in New Delhi, India, came across the wire. Hindu leaders today conceded the merger of Hinduism and Judaism has not worked out as planned. As instead of forming a super religion to fight off the common Islamic enemy, they have instead created a race of 900 million people who, no matter how many times they are reincarnated, can never please their mothers. When we take our will and try and merge it with God's will, what we come out is not what we intend, nor is it what God intended. The whole idea of being a Christian is to get rid of our will and, get, and yield ourselves completely to His. It's not an easy place to get to. It's a place that a lot of Christians think they are at. And they cannot even recognize when their will comes up. Just to give you a little bit of review, some things we went over in times past. Submission, some things that submission is not. You all remember that one? We said, first off, submission is not drama. When Jesus came out of the garden, he didn't make any big deal, no drama about that his will was different from God's will or that he thought his will was better. Nothing like that. Submission is not drama. If you come out and are very dramatic, that you are obeying God and not obeying your own will, that is not submission. Submission is not easy. If what you are doing comes easy, it is not submission. Maybe agreement, but it's not submission. That's the third one. Submission is not agreement. When you agree, you are not submitted. You are doing what you would do otherwise because you agree. If you agree that a stop sign should be at this particular place and you stop, you're in agreement. How many of you are in agreement or, you know, you go to a neighborhood and have those signs, you know, Speed limit, 25. We love our kids and all that sort of stuff that they put up there trying to reinforce the... Well, they're in agreement that in their neighborhood it should be 25 miles an hour. But how many of those people, when they are someplace else, may not obey 25 miles an hour? We're in agreement when it's in our neighborhood. But some other place, well, I'm in a hurry. You just have to understand. Submission is not forced. If you, do, if you want people to force you into a place of submission, that's not what it's going to be. And there are some leaders, there are some people out there, there are some bosses who like to demand that you do it this way. And you may go along with it, but it's not submission. Submission is not drama, it's not easy, it's not agreement, it's not force, and that all spelled deaf. And submission is not deaf either. Submission desires to hear and to understand what the one we're submitted to is saying. And we cannot be deaf as Christians. When we are always doing what we agree with, there is no suffering. We learn that Jesus learned obedience through suffering. 
There is some suffering. There's going to be some times when your will rises up against the will of God. And you may have a problem doing the will of God. Let's go over here into uh, some of our verses. Let me fill these things out for you here first. Am I walking with two wills merged in me? Am I walking with two wills merged in me? Now, situations will come up that make it seem like disobedience to the word is the only way out. Have you ever been those, in those places? When we're going through school, I know they do it now, they do these things called situational ethics. The whole idea is designed to put you in a situation. In that situation, there's only one way out, and that is to sin or to steal or to lie or to cheat. They arrange the situations like that. If someone tries to put you in a situational ethic and they try to go, what would you do if this was so? First off, just tell them, that's not so. If it was so, I would ask my father what to do and he would tell me. But since it's not so, I can't ask my father what to do, so he's not going to tell me anything. Yeah, but what if it's not so? I'm not in that situation. You see, when you're in that situation, you depend on the Spirit of God to rise up on the inside of you and tell you what to do. And then you'll, he'll, he'll give you a way out. The Word of God is filled with people who were in situations, hard situations, and God gave them a way out, a way out that no one would have thought of. Go way back in the book of Exodus. Moses comes to the Red Sea. What would you do if the Egyptian army was behind you, mountains on either side of you, and the Red Sea in front of you? What would you do? Well, you know, one, one of the multiple choices is probably not raise your staff up, part the Red Sea, and walk across on dry ground. But God will come up with ways. Don't listen to situational ethics. Don't listen to people who want to try and put you in those situations. Because if you come into a situation where it looks like the situation is dire, just know God's going to come through. Trust Him. All right, here's a couple of them. Tithing. How many of y'all know tithing is in the Word of God? But I have these bills to pay. And tithing's okay as long as I have enough money. Right? We're in agreement there. Tithing's okay as long as I have enough money. But as soon as there is a problem, I have these bills to pay, we can come up with a, with a different direction. Dating. Yeah, but I really like that one. I'm all for you know, dating people that are equally yoked, and I'm all for finding people that uh, love the Lord like I do, except I didn't know that they weren't a believer. And I'm really in love with that person. You know, but I really like that one. We can come up with situations. Praying. We all know we ought to be praying, spending time in prayer. But I have to get something done. I've got to do something over here. What if God moves on you to pray? Now, we've taught you enough about prayer. Prayer does not mean you need to go away and seclude yourself for 15 minutes, half hour, hour, two hours, anything like that. You can pray quickly. In fact, sometimes the best prayers are quick ones. If you're praying for something. Now, if you're having fellowship with God, that's something different. But if you're praying for something, make it quick. You get too wordy, you're going to get it outside of the area of faith in the area of doubt. Don't be doing that. Put this in your outline for you. As long as I permit two wills in me, I will always border on unsubmission. You may not cross the line, but you're always going to be bordering on it. You're always going to be thinking about it. But what if I did it my own way? What if I went my own direction? What if I did it this way? You'll have that border that's there. Temptation is merely getting us to think on the benefits of a way other than God's. Go through the Bible. You can start thinking of them all the way back in the, in the book of Genesis with uh, Adam and Eve. Is temptation anything ever d- different from this? You just think on the benefits. Well, what if you did eat the, of the tree? You would become like God, knowing both good and evil get you to think about the benefits of doing something else different from what God said to do. Just think about the benefits of that. Just think about the benefits if you went over to the bank and stole all the money. Wouldn't that be better? Temptation is merely getting us to think on the benefits of a way other than God's. The goal is to get a dormant will to become the active one. That's the whole goal. You know, as long as something is dormant, it doesn't cause a problem. There was a report I saw. I, I can't remember what uh, country was in, some other country. And there was a volcano that started just recently, just started spewing ash into the 
uh, air. And this is a, uh, an active volcano, but lots of people live around the active volcano. It hasn't been active in a while. When something is not active, then you, know, you start to build stuff around it. But if that goes off, it creates problems. Gases go into the atmosphere. All kinds of uh, nasty stuff gets up into the, into the air, blocks the sun. People die within the, a sphere of the volcano going off. Animals die. Fish die. All kinds of stuff happens. It's not good. When we were over in the Philippines, we saw an active volcano and dull pineapple grew pineapples on this active volcano because it was very fertile. And so they, they did that, and it went all the way around. They had it all set up. So they would plant here and then here and then here, and then they would harvest. And all 12 months of the year, they're always harvesting another section of the mountain. They just keep moving around the mountain, planting, moving around the mountain, harvesting, and pulling the stuff out. They had it all down to a system. And the volcano was a great place for it. So what they did to try and make sure that the volcano didn't blow up is they put vents all around the base of the volcano to try and vent the gases and try and keep those things so that the whole thing doesn't blow its stop sometime. And that's what they did so they could, they could have this going on. But um, I don't know, the day may come and <laughs> that may not work so well. I wonder if we've done some of the same things. We've, we're trying to vent our will so that it doesn't blow up. But we've got to get to the place where we get rid of that. So here was a, the first one. Am I walking with two wills merged in me? Or with my will purged from me. That's the place we want to get. To the place where my will is purged from me. If I purge my will from myself, what's left? As a Christian. As a Christian, what's left? If your will is purged from you, what is left? God's will. God's will is going to be left there. So the same situations come up. The same situational ethic things come up. But I recognize the temptation and insist on obedience. Because my will is gone. How many of y'all know if your will was gone, if you didn't have any will to do your own stuff, only had the will to do God's stuff, life would be better? We all say, amen, yeah, life would be better. Except when we get into a situation, tomorrow we get into a situation, and we find it beneficial to do our will. Is it God's will or is it our will to yell at the person in front of us in the car doing stupid things? Our will or God's will? It's our will. Is it our will or God's will that we wish our car was equipped with a laser beam to eliminate any problems that we find on the road? It gets to be our will, doesn't it? Have you ever wished for someone who did some kind of weaving through traffic, risking everybody else's life, have you ever wished them to have a flat tire? Boy, I'd like to see them get a flat tire and just get stuck on the side of the road. Now, you know nothing about them. You haven't asked God. You haven't interceded for Him. You haven't done a thing. Whose will rose up and did that? Our will keeps continually rising up and getting us to do things. And we're not always aware of it. Many times Christians will say, well, I felt God told me to do this. But tomorrow, they felt God did, told them to do something different. It's our will. We sometimes cannot recognize our will from God's. And that gets to be a problem. So certainly purging it from our system is a little tough. Put some things in here about God's will. We've got to feed on the Word of God about what God's will is. We feed on our will. We feed on what we want to do. But we don't always feed on what God's will is. And so as many times the things coming out of our mouth are not what is God's will. That's why we're not walking in submission. First off, Philippians 3 and verse 15. Therefore, let us as many as are mature have this mind. And if in anything you think otherwise, God will reveal even this to you. Here's something to know about the will of God. Re God's will is to reveal his will. It's simple. But understand this. God's will is to reveal his will. God, what is your will in this situation? God wants to let you know what it is. God wants to tell you. God's desiring to tell you. God, how is it that I can do this over here? What is it that you want to accomplish over here? God's will is to reveal his will to you. If the devil ever comes across your path and he says, well, God's not telling you anything, is he? Well, God doesn't want you to know that. God's just going to keep you in suspense. God's just not going to tell you what's going on. 
No, God's will is to reveal His will. Therefore, let us, as many as are mature, have this mind, and if in anything you think otherwise, God will reveal even this to you. God will reveal it. Here's the second one. God's will is to reward His children. Did you know that? When we're reading the Bible and we're in church on Sunday, it is easy for us to understand that God wants to reward His kids. But how about Monday? How about Tuesday when some stuff happens? Some things that weren't so good. How about Wednesday when the boss says something that's not making you feel real good? God wants to reward His children. Hebrews 11 verse 6 But without faith, it is impossible to please him. For he who comes to God must believe that he is and that he is a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. Father God, I thank you that you are a rewarder. You ever hear that phrase? No good deed goes unpunished or however they say it. And and we we sometimes will just say that. Well, no good deed. However, this I don't even know what the phrase is. How do they say that? Did I get it right? Okay. And we, we say that that's not the will of God. What is the will of God? Reward. To reward his kids. You find me one story in the Bible, Old Testament or New Testament, in which God did not reward obedience. You find one place in the Word of God where people obeyed him and God says, yeah, you know what? I'm not going to reward you. I'm going to punish you. You find one place for that in the Bible? And yet, how often do Christians have that mentality about their God? Why'd you get sick? Well, God's trying to teach me a lesson. He wants me to grow, and, you know, I've been growing, and I've been doing some things, and He just wants me to develop even more. And so, it's garbage. That's, that's not a reward. For he who comes to God, it's a real good idea if you believe that He is and that He's a rewarder of those who diligently seek Him. No, it says what? Must believe that he is and that he is a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. So if something bad comes along, don't be looking for, well, why did God do this? God is a rewarder. God wants to reward. God wants to help. If you go out there and do good for his kingdom, well, now something bad's going to happen. I just know it. But God's a rewarder. Who's stronger, God or the devil? Really? Then why is it we always think that the devil can get something through? If we really believe that God is stronger than the devil, why are we more afraid of him? Not speaking of you guys, but Christians in general. The will of God is to restore what was lost. Ever lost something? Ever heard this from a Christian? Well, I guess God didn't really want me to have that anyway. Right? Well, I lost that. I guess God didn't want me to have it. Joel chapter 2, verse 25. So I will restore to you the years that the swarming locust has eaten, and the crawling locust, and the consuming locust, and the chewing locust, my great army which I sent among you. Now, here's a verse. Joel's talking about these things came on you because you were disobedient. And they took some stuff from you. But I'll give it back. I'll get it back from you. I will restore to you the years that the swarming locust has eaten. The crawling locust, the consuming locust, and the chewing locust. Even if it was your fault that you lost the thing, God still wants to get it back to you. Do you understand that's the will of God? That even if it's your fault that the thing got lost, He still wants to get it back to you. That's the will of God. Have you ever been told something different? Inside, you, have you, has the enemy ever risen up on the inside of you and said, God doesn't want you to have that back. You didn't need it. It was a distraction. It was bad for you. All this sort of stuff. You ever had that? I will restore to you the years that the swarming locust has eaten. God, God's will is to restore what was lost. Exodus chapter 32, verse 14. So the Lord relented from the harm which he said he would do to his people. Hosea 6 and verse 6. For I desire mercy and not sacrifice, and the knowledge of God more than burnt offerings. God's will is to relent from His wrath. That is the will of God. Hosea 6.6 For I desire mercy, and not sacrifice, 
in the knowledge of God more than burnt offerings. Matthew 9, verse 13. But go and learn what this means. I desire mercy and not sacrifice. For I did not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. God desires to show mercy. But many times Christians have this idea when we come to God, God, I sinned. God, I blew it. God, I messed up. And I realize that you need to judge me right now. I realize that you need to do, deal harshly with me right now. And I'm ready to take it. And then whatever comes along, we just feel like God is dealing with us and dealing harshly with us. Well, we just need to take it. No, God says, I desire mercy. We just looked at a story on Wednesday night, not too long ago. Ahab. Everybody remember Ahab? Without even being here, was Ahab a good king or was Ahab a bad king? Ahab was a bad king. We all know we associate Ahab with bad things. He's a bad king. He was not a good king at all. He was bad. And the judgment, God sent the prophet to him and he gave judgment to him. You're going you're gonna to die. And he repented. Put sackcloth and ashes on and repented before God. God sent word to Elijah. Elijah, go back to him. Tell him, I'm going to still do this, but not in your day. Why? Because he repented. God desires mercy. He even gave mercy to a king who followed idols, led Israel in idol worship, and because he repented, (laughs) because he repented, God says, all right, I'm not going to do this in your day. He did say, I'm going to do it in your son's day. Now, if his son would have repented, what would have happened? God says, you know what? I'm going to do it in the next son's day. And the next son would have repented. What would have happened? You know what? I'll do it in the next son's day. Eventually, I think he's going to get to the spot. You know what? We don't need to do this anymore. We just forget the whole thing. God desires mercy. He does not desire judgment. But the enemy wants to sell you that the will of God is for you to lose things the will of God is for you to have judgment. The will of God is not for you to have mercy. If you did something stupid, then you should just live with it. That's not the will of God. Even if somebody else did something stupid and you're suffering from it, it's not the will of God you keep on suffering from the thing. God desires mercy. Exodus chapter 32, verse 7. And the Lord said to Moses, Go get down. He's up there on the mountain getting the tablets and other stuff that God's given them. For your people whom you brought out of the land of Egypt have corrupted themselves. They have turned aside quickly out of the way which I commanded them and they have made themselves a molded calf and worshipped it and sacrificed it and said, This is your God, Israel, that brought you out of the land of Egypt. And the Lord said to Moses, I have seen this people and indeed it is a stiff-necked people. Now therefore, let me alone. And my wrath may burn, that my wrath may burn hot against them, and that I may consume them, and I will make of you a great nation. Then Moses pled with the Lord his God, and said, Lord, why does your wrath burn hot against your people, whom you have brought out of the land of Egypt, with great power, with a mighty hand? Why should the Egyptians speak and say, He brought them out to harm them, to kill them in the mountains, and to consume them from the face of the earth? Turn from your fierce wrath and relent from this harm to your people. Remember Abraham, Isaac, and Israel, your servants to whom you swore by your own self and said to them, I will multiply your descendants as the stars of the heaven. And all this land that I have spoken of, I give to your descendants and they shall inherit it forever. So the Lord relented from the harm which he said he would do to his people. Now, here's the two things I wanted us to get a hold of. First off, God has a will of operation. This is the will that he operates by. This is the will that he is governed by. These are things that he has said, I will do. God says, but he said to Israel, I will make of you a great nation. He said to Abraham, I will make of you a great nation. This is something he said, this is my will. This is what I'm going to do. This is my will of operation. This is what I'm going to accomplish. How many of you ever had a will of operation? I'm going to graduate from school. I'm going to get a good paying job. I'm going to pay off all my student loans. I'm going to buy a house. I'm going to get married. I'm going to have kids. Got a will of, this is what you're, you're planning on doing, right? And along the way, some things have happened. Maybe kept you from doing some of the things that you wanted to do. You're still on that. You're still out there to do them. 
but uh, some of those things have happened. But this is the, the will of operation that God has. Now, something has happened that has affected God's will of operation, hasn't it? The children of Israel are down at the base of the mountain making an idol and calling it God and are all worshiping it. This is not the first time that they've done this. It's the first time they built an, uh, a God, but this is not the first time they've rebelled against God. As God. According to God's count, he said ten times. Ten times. But here's the thing. God has a will of operation. Moses is familiar with this will of operation. But something has, has come along, and what we have now, God has stated something different. How many of y'all know when God says, I'm going to wipe them out, and Moses, of you, I'm going to make a great nation. How many of y'all know that is different from God's stated will of operation? Here's what we have. We have God's will of operation, and we have God's will of the moment. Have you ever had a will of the moment? I'll put it to you like this. Some of you are married. If I were to ask you today, do you love your spouse? You would probably say yes. More than likely, you would say yes. But have there been times, maybe during this past week, maybe during weeks prior, where the life of your spouse was almost ended in an unnatural way? You have a will of operation. You, when you got married, you stated, for better or for worse, that's your will of operation, right? But something came up that changed that will of operation, didn't it? You weren't expecting this. When you're up there in front of the altar declaring vows to each other, better or worse, all that sort of stuff, you were not expecting this to be part of the worse. And so when it came up, what did you want to do? Things came up. This is the will of the moment. We have the will of operation, but we have the will of the moment. That will of the moment came up. You have a will of operation, a thing that you do at work. But how many times has work done something that the will of the moment rises up and you want to tell some people at work what they can do with the job that they have given you? That will of the moment. What do we do with that will of the moment? How many of you ever had somebody in the office who saw that will of the moment and calmed you down? Look, don't say anything you're going to be sorry for. Take this home, sit on this for a little while, stew on this for a little bit. Come on back tomorrow, see if you feel the same way. And you came on back the next day and, all right, you're still upset, but you're not wanting to quit your job over this thing. You like your job. Right? God's will of the moment. God had a will of the moment. This came up and God says, you know what? I can still accomplish my will of operation. I'm just going to do it through you. I'm going to get rid of all these other people. And when people talk about Israel, they're going to say the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Israel, and Moses. And we're going to skip all the things that happened in between. Right? Get rid of it all. We're still descendant of Abraham, but all everything that happened between Israel and Moses, we're just going to wipe that whole thing out like those people never existed. That's what God wants to do. It's the will of the moment. Now, Moses knows his will of operation. And so what Moses does is he taps into the will of operation that God has stated. Look what he look at some of the things that he says. Then Moses, verse 11, Then Moses pleaded with the Lord his God and said, Lord, why does your wrath burn hot against your people? Before God called on his people. He says, no, not mine. They're your people whom you have brought out of the land of Egypt with great power and mighty hand. God tried to put this off on him. He went, I'm not taking it. <laughs> They're not my people and I didn't bring them up. <laughs> They're still your people and you're still the one who brought them up. Why should the Egyptians speak and say he brought them out to harm them, to kill them in the mountains, and to consume them from the face of the, of the earth? All right, now here's a smart intercessor. God is mad with the children of Israel. He is angry with the children of Israel. Do not use them in this, this uh, discourse that you have to try and convince God something else. You've got to use other people because he's mad with them. All right, don't use, don't use them. We've got to go over here. Let's go over to Egypt. You wanted to show Egypt how strong you are. This is what they're going to say about you. Is that what you want? You want Egypt to say he brought them out here to kill them and to consume them from the face of the earth? Turn your fierce wrath and relent from this harm to your people. Remember Abraham, Isaac, and Israel. Remember those guys? Those guys were faith guys. 
Those are guys that you brag about. Those are guys that you talk about. Remember Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob? Why are you doing these things for these people? Because of what Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob did. Because of how they lived their life. Because of the faith they had in you. Remember them? All right, think about those guys. Your servants to whom you swore by your own self and said to them, I will multiply your descendants as the stars of heaven and all this land that I have spoken of I give to your descendants and they shall inherit it forever. So the Lord relented from the harm which he said he would do to his people. God has a will of operation. God has a will of the moment. Now, let's keep on going. Verse 15. And Moses turned and went down from the mountain and the two tablets of the testimony were in his hand. The tablets were written on both sides and on one side and on the other side they were written. Now, if you're, if, if you're most of if Moses is like most of us. How many of you are coming down that mountain? Israel's pretty glad to have me. I just saved them. I just bailed them out. If it wasn't for me, they'd all be dead right now. Before I even get down off this mountain, God would have wiped them all out and I would be the one that God would be using. He's probably coming down thinking about that. I don't, if, I don't know if he is. I know if most of us were, if I was the one coming down, I'd be thinking about it. I just turned God's mind. I just changed God's mind. God's going to do something. And I talked to him. I talked God out of something. <laughs> Whew, that's good. Now, the tablets were the work of God and the writing was the writing of, the, of God engraved on the tablets. Who wrote the tablets? God. Who made the tablets? God made, they're, they're God's tablets. He made them, he wrote on them, he gave them to Moses. Moses did nothing. He's carrying the tablets. He did not make them, he is only carrying the tablets. God's carved them out of the stone, God engraved them, and then God gave them to Moses. Moses, here you go, stone tablets, commandments on it. And when Joshua heard the noise of the people as they shouted, he said to Moses, there is a noise of war in the camp. But he said, It is not the noise of the shout of victory, nor the noise of the cry of defeat, but the sound of singing I hear. Now, here's the thing. with We've, We mentioned this before, just a side note to keep you in, in mind about this. Joshua is in charge of the army. His, and his interpretation of the sound, because he's only halfway up on the mountain, he can hear it. Moses couldn't hear it up where he was. God could, but Moses couldn't hear it. Down where Joshua is, he could hear it. He's in charge of the, arm, of the army. If he thinks they are under attack, what would you do? Moses, I'm going to leave you a note. Yeah. Leave him a little note there. Moses went down the mountain. Sounds like war. He went down. And could you blame him for that? No, but when he came up on the mountain, what did Moses say? Wait here. Wait here. That's his post now. His post is Here. He's supposed to wait here until the person who said, don't wait here, comes back. But you've got to understand, if you are in charge of the army and you hear this sound, this sound, sound's been going on for a little while. It's not just for the last hour. It's been going on for a while. He's been hearing this sound. But he also has, Moses said, not God said, Moses said. Who's he submitted to? Moses Moses said, wait here. And so he waited there. But he's got to be torn. How many of y'all know that's suffering? That's the kind of suffering that you need to go through to build your submission. To build yourself in the place where you need to be. That kind of suffering. As soon as Moses gets there, he said to Moses, there is a noise of war in the camp. He's hearing all this singing and dancing and stuff, and he hears war. If there's war in the camp, where's he supposed to be? I need to be down there. But he said, It is not the noise of the shout of victory, nor the noise of the cry of defeat, but the sound of singing I hear. So it was as soon as he came near the camp that he saw the calf and the dancing. So Moses' anger became hot. He was... Now he already knows what's going on. God has already told him what's going on, right? God says, They've made this golden calf. They're worshiping the golden calf. They've forsaken me. They said all these different things. But Moses knows what's going on. God told him what's going on. And it made God mad. And Moses is calming him down. Calm down, God. Yeah. We can do this. We can get through this. But then he comes down. And he knows what it is. He tells Joshua what it is. And he comes on down. Now he sees it. Right? 
Now it's different because I see it now. So it was as soon as he came near the camp, not in the camp, near the camp, that he saw the calf and the dancing. So Moses' anger became hot and he cast the tablets out of his hand and broke them at the foot of the mountain. Whose tablets were they? Who worked on the tablets? Who carved the tablets? Who wrote on the tablets? Who gave them into the charge of Moses? And what does Moses do with them? If somebody important gave you something of value and put it in your charge and you left and went on, are you going to take care of that thing? Because somebody important gave you this thing. You're going to watch over this thing. If you get mad and you want to throw something, how many of y'all are going to find something cheap to throw? <laughs> Not that expensive, valuable, whatever it might be thing. You're going to find something else. Moses has all kinds of stones, all kinds of rocks up there he could throw, but he doesn't. What does he throw? The thing of the most value that he has got. That God just spent time carving making, engraving, and handing to him. And he takes them and he throws them down. Now, understand, he was not in the camp. He was near the camp. Where is he when he started? At the top of the mountain. So, he is coming down the mountain. Where is Israel? At the bottom of the mountain. So if he casts them down, they're not going from his hands to his feet. He's up on a mountain. He's down low enough that he can see what they're doing. And he takes those things and he throws them down. And they break. Now when God got mad, he wanted to destroy some things. He wanted to destroy Israel. Wipe them out. When Moses got mad, he decided to destroy some things. All he had in his hand was the tablets. There was no intercessor for the tablets. No one stood in the gap for the tablets. No one tried to, to uh, save the tablets. The tablets died. They're gone. His, his anger became hot. He cast the tablets out of his hands and broke them at the foot of the mountain. When people get mad, things break, don't they? I mean really mad. Not just a little bit mad. When people get really mad, things tend to break. We're, we're in football season right now. How many of y'all glad football season started? Anybody glad? How many really don't care the football season started? I like the football season started. I heard there was a great game last night. I have not watched it yet. Eventually, I, 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 it took me all week to watch the last one. I got a little bit here, a little bit there, a little bit there, and then finally the end, I just had a, just deleted it. And then it's just preseason. I just didn't get to it all. But I heard there's a really good game on, at least the first quarter. So we'll get the chance to, to see that eventually. But when, what happens when a team player, or just take a, a, a week ago, I didn't get to see this play, but I heard about this play. The Eagles quarterback was, was uh, doing something, handing off whatever people say he was doing, and the lineman from the other team came in and dove. First, first play of the game, second play of the game, something like that, dove at his surgically repaired knee. Went right for it. Bypassed everything else. Went right for the surgically, not the other knee, the surgically repaired knee that this man has, has uh, snapped twice and spent two years in rehab. One year, once he got it figured, fixed up, it snapped again in the preseason game. Never saw the regular season. Went through all that suffering to get it going again. And this person decides to... Now, if you see that happen... Do you get a little mad if you're on the team? Do you get a little bit mad? Do you get a lot mad? If you get a lot mad, what do you want to see happen? You want to break something on the person who tried to break the knee, right? Suggs, I think his name was. And, uh, and you, you want to see him plastered. You want something broken of this person. You don't care what it is, just so something... Didn't that, didn't that rise up? And if something did break... Wouldn't it make you feel a little bit better? <laughs> when people get this mad, things break. 
unless somebody's there to, to stand in the way. Moses' anger became hot. Cast the tablets out of their hand. Broke them at the foot of the mountain. But that's not all. He is not done. Then he took the calf which, had, which they had made, burned it in the fire, and ground it into powder. And he scattered it on the water and made the children of Israel drink it. They, they made this thing as gold. He came and he broke it. Broke it. Grounded it in the... They're standing here watching them. Now understand this. This is two to four million people who have just rebelled against God. And Moses, by himself, takes those golden calves, breaks them that they're worshiping. It's made out of their gold. He breaks it, grinds it in the powder. They're watching. Two to four million people are watching him do this. And they just stand by and watch. And then he takes it and he mixes it with some some, uh, water and he made the children of Israel drink it. How does one person make two to four million people drink something? Because Moses is mad. So mad, he broke tablets that God made and put in his charge. That's how mad he is. And he's not as mad as God was. Because God was ready to wipe out two to four million people. And Moses said to Aaron, What did this people do to you that you have brought so great a sin upon them? So Aaron said, Do not let the anger of my Lord become hot. It already is, I think. <laughs> already passed that part. You know the people, that they are set on evil. For they said to me, Make us gods, that they shall go before us. For this Moses, the man who brought us out of the land of Egypt, we do not know what has become of him. And I said to them, Whoever has any gold, let them break it off. So they gave it to me, and I cast it in the fire, and this calf came out. Yeah, okay. Now, we've talked about this one before, but just to give you a reminder, if you know if it was here, someone might not have been here before. But when Moses, before the mountain incident, there are two leaders for Israel that Moses leaves them in charge with, Aaron and Hur. From this point on, we never hear about Hur. He is never mentioned again in the Bible. The supposition is that Hur was killed in this, that he stood up against this rebellion and was killed, and it put such fear in Aaron that he did what they wanted. These people have already probably have already killed somebody, and Moses has no fear of them. But they apparently are afraid of him. Where we leave off at? 24? So when Moses saw that the people were unrestrained, for Aaron had not restrained them to their shame among their enemies, then Moses stood in the entrance of the camp, and he said, Whoever is on the Lord's side, come to me. And all the sons of Levi gathered themselves together to him. I still think this is one of the most remarkable things that happened. That all the people who don't follow this rebellion are all from one tribe. How does that happen? Have, think of your family. How many of you have more than ten people in your family? I mean the whole family, not just the whole family. There's more than ten people in that family. Have you ever all agreed on anything? You got the entire tribe of Israel. Let's just take the numbers. Two to four million people. One-twelfth of that. Can you imagine that? If we just took a small number and said 200,000, can you imagine 200,000 people out of two million or 400,000 people out of four million? Just that number. Can you imagine those are the only ones that are on God's side? Just that one tribe. Who was on the Lord's side? Now, I don't know if they were helping before or if they just decided when Moses came down, you know what, we're on the wrong side, we're getting on Moses' side. I don't know if that would happen, but whatever it was, we go on here. Verse 27, And he said to them, Thus says the Lord God of Israel, Let every man put his sword on his side and go in and out from the entrance to entrance throughout the camp and let every man kill his brother, every man his companion, and every man his neighbor. So the sons of Levi did according to the word of Moses, and about 3,000 men of the people fell that day. Now, we've run these numbers by you before. 3,000 people died. Moses just interceded that God would not kill them. And now he comes down from the mountain and commissions an entire tribe to go out there and to kill. 
So let's just take the numbers. We're going to work off the low numbers because the estimates, not my estimates, my estimates out here, two to four million people is how large Israel is at this, side, this, this time. We're just going to take the small number, two million. We're just going to take one-tenth of that, 200,000. All right, so we're dealing with smaller numbers. The numbers are actually probably bigger, 200,000. Of that 200,000, how many are men of fighting age? All right, it's at least, it's, it's no more than half of that, and you've got some kids involved in that as, as well. Let's just take it in a small number. Let's just say 50,000 were commissioned. You know what? Let's just cut it in half again. Let's say 25,000 out of that whole group are men of the tribe of Levi. Now, can you all agree with me? That's probably a smaller number than the real true one. 25,000 men. How many people died? 3,000. If you had 25,000 people with swords commissioned to go out and kill folks, don't you think the number should have been higher than 3,000? Why is it only 3,000? Why doesn't Moses have a sword in his hand? He's of the tribe of Levi. Why does he not have a sword? This is my thought on this thing. Is that Moses put the swords in the hands of the people who were here. You all know who the instigators are. You all know who started this. Go out there and get them. Kill them. I want all the leaders of this. I want all the people who instigated this. I want all the people who tried to kill, threaten, whatever they did. I want you to kill them. You know who they are. They didn't just go out and arbitrarily kill people. They systematically went out to take the people out who were rebellious, who were the leaders of this rebellion, and they killed 3,000. Can you come up with any better explanation as to why at least 25,000 people only ended up killing 3,000? If each one killed one, they should have done more than that. I can't come up with any better reason. Those numbers don't seem to work any other way. Then Moses said, Consecrate yourselves to the Lord, that he may bestow on you a blessing this day. For every man has opposed his son and his brother. Now it came to pass on the next day that Moses said to the people, You have committed a great sin. So now I will go up to the Lord. Perhaps I can make atonement for your sin. Then Moses returned to the Lord and said, Oh, these people have committed a great sin and have made themselves a gold, a God of gold. Yet now, if you will forgive their sin, but if not, I pray, blot me out of your book which, I have, which you have written. So he says, if you're not going to forgive them, then take me out of the book too. And the Lord said to Moses, whoever has sinned against me, I will blot him out of my book. Now therefore go, lead the people to the place of which I have spoken to you. Behold, my angel shall go before you, nevertheless in the day when I visit for punishment, I will visit punishment upon them for their sins. So the Lord plagued the people because of what they did which the, with the calf which Aaron made. Didn't just form, Aaron made it. Now, Moses has a will of operation as well. But when he gets down, we saw his will of operation. We saw how he interceded. How many times up till now has he interceded for the people and preserved them and saved them? But he gets moved by the will of the moment as well. He has a will of the moment. His will of the moment was when he saw the people. When he, he heard about it, but now when he saw it, oh, that changes things. That changed things for them. Put it to you this way. How many of y'all have a will that abortion is wrong and it should be outlawed in this country? Yeah, we have that will. And when we get, we get angry when we hear about how many millions of babies have been aborted. We, 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 we don't like to hear that. It's not that we hate the people that, that uh, had the abortions, but we, it, it drives us. Some of these people who do it who have no care. It drives us because we know that God, God loves these, these kids and, and things have happened to them. But we don't generally desire to, to see any, anybody die, blow up you know, buildings and stuff like that. That's not our, our goal. But now that all this stuff has come out with the Planned Parenthood, and apparently, folks, there is more coming out. The organization that did this started with the lesser videos and is moving to the greater ones. And I, I, they, from what I heard, they still have some more. There's still some more. Now, most of the news media is not covering this. They'd rather cover, you know, the death of, of other things, but not the, the death of the babies and not in the way what you're doing. But they're selling the baby parts, you know, and all this sort of, sort of thing. And the, the one who bragged about taking the brain out of the baby and uh, just 
it's, it's, the, it's, it's horrible. But now people can see something. They can see the face of the people that are doing this. They see the face, the face of the person who sits at the table and discusses how they're... they're see, now we've got a visual. It's one thing for us to hear it. And we can get mad. But when we see it, oh, how much, how much harder is it? How much more difficult is that to be? But this is what has gone on in this country. It's what Moses had. He saw it. And it stirred something even greater on the inside of him. And he had that will of the moment. And though he had interceded for these people to stay alive, he commissioned them. You go out there and you, you kill some folks. I'll put this in your outline for you. Get a hold of this. The role of an intercessor here is to prevent the will of the moment from diverting me or someone permanently from my will of operation. The will of an intercessor is to prevent the will of the moment from diverting one permanently from the will of operation. That's, the will, that's what an intercessor does. Because the will of the moment comes up and generally the, the will of the moment being different from the will of operation can cause problems. And an intercessor comes up and stands in that way. But that intercessor has to know what the will of operation is for the one that he's interceding to. Do you know that well the will of the Father's operation? How much false things have worked into our mindset as to what God wants and what God desires? It's those things that have worked their way into our mindset that are hindering our submission. Because I cannot fully submit to one when I do not know their will. How, how could you possibly fully submit to God if you don't know His will? Because submission involves me submitting my will to His will. If I don't really know what His will is, I cannot submit to it. Religion has worked its way in what other people think of the word, what our own compassion, what our own will of the moment is, these all come up and they cloud the issue. We have to know the will of our Father's operation. God, how do you direct your affairs? And that's what I need to get in line with. We need to spend our time to know what the will of the Father is. There are some, some folks here, I'm not going to ask you to raise your hand, but some folks here feel that part of their ministry is the ministry of intercession. You cannot have an effective intercession ministry without knowing God like Moses knows God, like other people have known God in the Word of God. You have got to know His will. Not what you think about His will, not what other people think about His will. You've got to know from His Word what His will is. The more I grow in God, the more I can understand the Word. The more I understand the Word, the more I understand His will. Intercessors must grow in the Word. Too many intercessors I knew, in fact, I, I told you this story not in a while, but I was in a church uh, when I was out in Tulsa, one of the first churches I was in. I was in this church, and they had intercessors in the church. They were my first Interaction with what you would call intercessors in the church. Now, Raymond had a few people who called themselves intercessors, you know, well-known people, and I saw them. And I came out with an opinion of what intercessors were. You know what that opinion was? They're all weird. That was my opinion of an intercessor. If you want to be an intercessor, you must be weird. You've got to be strange. You've got to have some weird way of handling yourself. You've got a weird way of praying. You don't carry yourself the way other people do. You're just not normal. Because that's what I saw. I found out later. That's not like, I, I told God, I remember one time being in church. You know, I'm studying to be a pastor, studying church. I said, God, I know that intercessors are necessary for church and, and so forth. But I'll tell you what, if it's up to me, I wouldn't have them. <laughs> I actually said that to God. Because they, I saw these folks and they were weird. You know why they were weird? Because they didn't have the grounding of the Word of God. 
If you are going to be an effective intercessor, you have got to know the Word. And not a surface knowledge. You've got to get into the Word. You've got to know what is the will of God. Because I guarantee you, most of the intercessors I saw early on could not have done what Moses did. Because they don't know the will of God. You've got to know the will of God and be willing to stand up in the face of an angry God. Don't do this. Don't do this. Aren't too many people who would do that? Because most people don't know the word that well. You've got to grow. This year, I hope you all have grown more in your knowledge of the word. The more you understand of the word, the more you can understand next year. And the more you can understand the year after that. And the more you can understand the year after that. If you stop growing in your understanding of the word of God, you will stop being effective in whatever ministry you are in. Because it's the word of God that directs us in his will. And I've got to know his will no matter what it is that I'm doing. Got to know it. Romans 8.26, close with this. Likewise, the Spirit also helps in our weakness. For we do not know what we should pray for as we ought, but the Spirit himself makes intercession for us with groanings which cannot be uttered. That doesn't mean making sounds that no one understands. Some people have thought that. Now he who searches their hearts knows what the mind of the Spirit is because he makes intercession for the saints according to the will of God. Intercession without knowing the will of God is useless. Useless. And we know that all things work together for good to those who love God and to those who are called according to His purpose. All things. How many of you had some things happen this week that you're... This this cannot be good. Cannot be good. We know that all things work together for good to those who love God, to those who are called according to His purpose. For whom He foreknew, He also predestined to whom to be conformed to the image of His Son that He might be the firstborn among many brethren. Moreover, whom he predestined, these he also called. Whom he called, these he also justified. And whom he justified, these he also glorified. What then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He did not spare his own son, but delivered him up for us all. How shall we not with him also freely give us all things? Who shall bring charge? Who shall bring a charge against God's elect? It is God who justifies Who is he who condemns? It is Christ who died and furthermore is also risen, who is even at the right hand of God, who also makes intercession for us. Jesus makes intercession for us. The Holy Spirit makes intercession for us. They know the will of God and they make intercession accordingly. If you're going to be effective in the area of intercession, if you're going to be effective in the area of any ministry that you have, you've got to know the will of God. If you're going to walk into a place of submission to God, you have got to know the will of God. Too many Christians say, well, God wants this. And nowhere in his word does he say it. What does the word of God say? And we've got to come in line with that. We've got to get rid of our will, not just merge our will with his will, but work to purge our will. So God says, this is what I want. We say, that's what we're going to do. And along the way, folks, there will be some suffering. You'll be like Joshua on the side of the mountain. It feels like I ought to get down there, but this is what the one I'm submitted to, not even God, Moses. This is the one I'm submitted to said. He said, stay here. And he did. He stayed there. How far away are you? How far away am I from that place of submission? The Word of God says, submit therefore to God, resist the enemy, and he will flee from you. Not to submit to someone else's idea of God. Not to submit to what you think God ought to be. Submit to God. You've got to know who that God is. You've got to know what the Word of God says about that God. Every time that you're in the Word of God, Father God, show me more about who you are. Show me more about what your will is. Show me more. Because I need to know it. And your prayers ought to be governed by the will of God and not your own. That's where we need to go. Would you all stand up with me? Father, we thank you for the help that you give us in walking in this life. Holy Spirit is our helper. He prays. He intercedes. He strengthens. Teaches. So grateful for the ministry of the Holy Spirit. Thank you, Father, for the things 
you do through us. We want to submit to you more and more. We want to learn more and more about you. And every day in this world, you can teach us more about the will of God from the word of God. And we're ready to hear. We want to open up ourselves, Father, to be used by you. We thank you for it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. We got some praise reports? We have a, a few out there. There we go. Who else we got? Anyone else have a praise report that you wanted to turn in? Aha. Anybody still writing out some praise reports? Because I praise the Lord for the unexpected financial blessing that we received from our insurance company. They said we overpaid. <laughs> and you can't beat God's giving no matter how much you try. Amen. She's praising God for her new book that came out on Kindle and it hit the number 32 spot on Amazon's Futuristic. Awesome. Nice. Yep. Um, so we had a great time seeing Jay and Tammy on Friday night. Um, we had a fresh bird on transitions. I'm still pondering over that one, but that's, that's pretty awesome. Um, <coughs> Matt says, at work, I lost my candy pack with all my stuff. I thank God it was found during the next shift. <laughs> <laughs> Angels are lost to things return. There you go. And he says, God has blessed me with an awesome placement for my clinical rotation. He has also put me under a patient and understanding clinical instructor. I was placed at Dalton Hospital, which happens to be five minutes from my house. No more hour drives to clinical. That's awesome. <laughs> not only have I been placed there for this semester, but I have been blessed to be placed there for the whole year. That's awesome. Mm. With the same patient and instructing that understanding the structure. That's awesome. That is good. Eileen says, my, uh, my daughter Pam, uh, who is a nurse in a clinic, clinical diet, I'm going to get this backwards, in a dialysis clinic in New Mexico, sent a praise report how God protected her, her co-workers, and patients. Some landscape workers ruptured a gas line behind the clinic. Um, they had to do a sudden evacuation. Everyone got out safely, and each one came and, oh, and no harm came to any property or anybody. That's awesome. Thanks, God. From Bruce. From Bruce. Oh, from Bruce. So thank God for the interview. Um, and PA, and then it got expedited to the second interview this coming week. Hallelujah. New jobs coming up. Amen. You've got a lot to be thankful for. Philadelphia, right? Philadelphia. Okay, cool. Awesome. Well, I, I Doomsday people where they're hoarding up 
lots of stuff in these end times in the last days because of this economic crisis. Well, how many of you know that God's word is not dependent on any man-made system? So as believers, we need to hold fast to the word of God and what he says, no matter what's going on in the economy, no matter what happens. So how many of you know, I don't know if you've ever studied this out, but during the Great Depression, although there were a lot of people that suffered, there were a lot that prospered. I kind of like to think that God wants us on the prospering side, no matter what's going on, because doesn't the word say we're in the world, but we're not of it? Our economy is not here, it's there. So if, if he says that if you're in debt and you want to get out of debt, give. That's totally contrary to the world system. Totally contrary to the way people think. If you want to get out of debt, give. Give more. We've shared this testimony before that in 2008 when, that, when the recession started going on, Pastor and I didn't get an increase in salary, but boy, let me tell you, we were able to give more than we've ever given. And not one bill was missed, not one payment. It was like nothing ever happened. We just kept going on and being blessed. And that's how God wants all of his people to be blessed. I have to brag on you guys a little bit here. Because Tony Cook, when he was in, he told Pastor and I several times, because you've got a great bunch of people. They're hungry for the word. They're intentional about the word. Meaning that you take it and you use it. You put it to practice in your life. And, and he says, you know, you don't see a lot of people. It's, a mention, it's just a mention of coming and learning about how to work. People don't want to do that. They want to hear about the blessings and the miracles and the financial prosperity. But you guys came to hear about how to work for God and receive rewards later. And that, he was very, very impressed by that. We hear all the time about the, um, visiting ministers when they come in, how impressed they are with you guys. So that's just a little kudos to you. <laughs> but, um... I have a copy of this for each of you. I'd like you to read it when you have time. And I really hope that it does start to build faith in you. Kathy was struck multiple times with numerous fatal diseases. And nine times at a time, they happened after she started to obey the rhema word that she received from God. When God told her, go to Guatemala. I want you to be a missionary to Guatemala. Immediately, the enemy came and tried to stop her financially, he couldn't stop her financially, so he tried to discourage her, he couldn't discourage her, so then he tried to take her life, and he couldn't take her life, and, but it's just time after time after time, miracles, signs, wonders happen in her life, and how many of you ever heard of Kathy Green? See, she's nobody special, you know, she's just like you and me. But God spared her life so many times. God supernaturally provided so many times. And I just, I really want this to be an encouragement to you guys that no matter what comes along the pike um, in these last days, we have a God who is still on the throne, who still will meet every need, as long as we're obedient. That takes our part, too. We can't just say, you know, God is able to supply all of my needs according to his riches and glory. Or thanks be unto God, who was able to do exceedingly abundantly above all we ask and think. But we got to look at the verses previous to that. They're always about us being obedient, us doing our part. And then, yeah, he is able for those who obey. So I have a copy of this for all of you. Please don't leave without it. Um, I really just want it to be an encouragement to you what, what God can do in your life. Amen.